You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hi folks and welcome to episode 10 of Let's Talk Photography, the episode for July 2014. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts. Joining me we have a fantastic panel as always and uh, no new face to introduce this time but uh, all very welcome back. We have Antonio uh, from the east coast of the US. Hi Antonio. Hello Bart, how are you? Thanks for having me. You got very low all of a sudden. It just felt like I had to talk really low. This is just... your radio voice, is it? Yeah, it's the it's the IPA voice. The IPA uh, voice. Oh, well, I yeah. want some IPA now. Anyway, we're referring <laughs> back to pre-show. That's not good. Um, like probably a few miles down the street from Antonio, we are also joined by Kenny Lee. Hi, Kenny. Hey, Bart, uh, Antonio, and Mark. Uh, good to be with you, and thanks for having me. And not too far away. No, not at all. Well, you couldn't quite chat with each other, but you know, no, probably the same area code. Anyway, from the other side of the uh, continent of America, we are also joined by Mark Pauly. Uh, hi, Mark. Welcome back. Hello. How are you? I'm I'm happy to be back. I've missed a few missed a few episodes. It's good to have your voice back, and your, all of you, really, not just your voice. Thank you. <laughs> so this is uh, going to be a somewhat different show to the previous nine shows because this is our first listener question show. Now, if you have any questions for us, we're always looking for more. You can go to www.letstalk.ie forward slash photo q. Or if you go to the Let's Talk Photography page on the website, you'll see a button there saying click here to submit a question. So, you know, click there and submit a question. Um, the idea for these questions is not to be short and sharp, but rather sort of starting points for conversations. So I have I have two definites lined up, and depending on how we go for time, we might do a third. But, you know, so don't, you know, not yes or no questions. You know. Don't be afraid to give us a question with a bit of meat, is basically what I'm saying. Um, now, I am awful at reading out loud. It is absolutely not my forte. So, uh, Mark, you said in the pre-show that you don't mind reading out loud. So can I ask you to please read out loud the first question? I will read the first question. It is from Scott in Atlanta, and it says, Bart, really enjoying the podcast? I have a follow-up question to the last episode. I keep my photo library on a desktop, Windows, but I'm using a MacBook for editing and sharing and such. I'm about to move to a new MacBook and probably get a 256 gigabyte drive. Uh, so that's not large enough for all of my photos, plus everything else I'd like to have on it. So except for special projects, I'll probably keep a rolling set of photos, say the last 6 or 12 months, on the laptop. I'm looking for suggestions on organizing the photos when using a limited storage MacBook as your primary machine. I'd be open to an external drive as part of the solution, but I do want to have my working set on that fast SSD. Thanks for the podcast and your taming the terminal work on Nozilla. Take care, Scott in Atlanta. Well, firstly, thanks, Scott, for sending in the question and for saying nice things. Um, does anyone on the panel here work off a constrained machine in that sort of similar way where space is an issue? Space is oh. always an issue. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to, you know, it can no, be 250. You know, the more space you have, the more you take. So the space is always an issue. I mean, I, it, for me, there's, you know, no difference between 256 and a terabyte because I just use it all, but sorry. Yeah, the only difference is a few weeks, basically. Yeah. Um, what about other people? I, I have um, 
on my laptop, I have a smaller drive, and I had I have some experience between uh, using a um, SSD as the main drive, and then having a, an extra spinning hard drive at, where I put all my data, and I kind of split up my photos. And we can get in kind of in depth on how I did that uh, when we when we get there. But yeah, I've had to do that. Okay. And I, I used to, actually, until I upgraded my machine, I was very stuck for space. I think I had an 80-gig drive. Oh, jeez. Yeah, that didn't work very well. Um, I actually run... 80 my, gigs? 80? Yeah, it was, it was an old MacBook Pro. Yeah, okay. Uh, I actually run my entire photo library on an extra, a little Western digital uh, passport drive, the little teeny tiny externals. And my logic being I can take my library with me anywhere. And obviously I have backup copies of it, so I'm not relying on the drive to be reliable. Um, but I actually never had a problem with it. So I had a USB 2 drive, and that was fine, and then I ran out of space on that. So I now have a half terabyte USB 3 one, and Aperture is really happy with editing stuff on a USB 3 external drive. So well, there's, really, there's really a couple of ways of looking at it, Bart. I think there's the aspect of having access to it mm. and, and having backup to it. And I think that Scott's question really addresses a, a lot of those concerns. Uh, I think that you know it, it screams actually for an offline backup because he's got a couple of environments that he mentioned, a Windows environment and a Mac environment. And I don't know how many machines of either, maybe one of each, but it, either way, he's going to have to have some kind of a shared environment if he's going to work that way. Yeah. Um, I, I, use, I use an offline environment. I back up everything uh, on the cloud. But the problem with the cloud is, it, you know, it's not that smooth and and, and quick uh, for operating. If if you're on one platform and then go to another, you, you're going to have to download. So what I've done is I, I use a Drobo, which is a backup, and then I have it backing up to an offline drive, which is a uh, a Thunderbolt drive from uh, Mercury OWC, and so I can share it from my various environments but also have a, a relatively rapid interaction with it for, uh, to and from writing and reading. So, so you're, when you're using Lightroom, your photos are physically on the internal hard disk of the machine you're working on? Yes, they're, they're, they're kind of mirrored between that hard drive and also the uh, Drobo. And is that Drobo software that does that mirroring for you, or do you have another solution? No, the Drobo software does it all. Okay, that's pretty cool. Um, Antonio, what do you what do you do? Because you, I bet you, you have more photos than any of the rest of us. I do have more photos, but I but I don't use a portable at all for my, any of my workflow. Um, I, I mean, just as a side, I mean, mm. since I've purchased iPads, like I've decided I really don't need a MacBook anymore. So um, I wish I did. I really want one, but it's like I can't. <laughs> I can't justify. Having one, yeah, I, I'm um, in the same boat as you. Give me a giant big iMac and an iPad, and I'm yeah. a happy camper. Yeah, I'm not doing any field shoots and stuff like that. But that being said, I'm looking at this. Uh, my my first solution, my first thing I was thinking is this: this um, Scott would be best off using Lightroom because it's in both uh, Windows and Mac, so mm. he could be using. Lightroom on both machines um, have a very similar interface. He doesn't say that he's using any applications. I can't imagine can he's see. using Aperture, though, if he's doing no, them both. No. But um, if Tom was here, he would probably have 
uh, my partner Tom from Switch to Bagel, uh, would have told you I, I, I had set him up on a system using the new version of Lightroom because the new version of Lightroom lets you create um, this idea of a smart previews. Yeah. And what we had him do is set up a main library on a hard drive that he keeps at home. So his main storage for all of his raw files and, and everything is at, his, is at home. But he likes to take the pictures on the road with him hmm. you know, to do some processing and do some organization. And the new version of Lightroom has this ability to create the like sort of proxy uh, raw files that you can work on, and they take up much less space. And it's so what leave, he does... They, they take less pixels, isn't it? And then they apply the same edits... Yeah, they take less pixels. pixels. It does let you see the pictures on on the. He's got a MacBook as well. Mm. Uh, it does let you see them. Does let you do some. You know, actually, a, a, quite a, a large number of edits that you can work on, and organizing, and then making slideshows and stuff like that. And then when it gets back home, he connects it back to his main, you know, external hard drive where his library is, and those those edits synchronize. Um, and that's kind of what I'm like leaning towards telling Scott is look into that kind of feature. I mean, 256 gigabytes like will be eaten up really fast. Yeah. Uh with images and whatever else he's going to put on his MacBook. I mean, I I would only use that as like, you know, small storage and and make smart previews of the things that you're going to work on. And then when you get home, you plug into your to your external drive, hopefully a RAID drive of some sort of, you know, some sort of redundant um fast hard drive that he can keep his library on. Um, but I would say look into Lightroom and look into the smart preview uh, system for that. Cause, um, and, and remember, um, USB 3 is fast. I mean, you know, yeah, so external yeah. drives aren't what they used to be. They used to be yeah. I'm just thinking about avoiding having to schlep an, a, another drive around. With, no, no, but I mean you know. in terms of he's going to have this library sitting on a oh, yeah, gigantic yeah. drive, right? Which, yeah. I mean, re- reading, reading the question, he seemed quite keen on using the SSD for all of his heavy work. But I'm not actually sure that's an issue because... Reading the data, you know, your raw file is what twenty five megs at most. That comes, I guess it, dep- it depends on the yeah. Yeah, yeah the gen- generally speaking, yeah, yeah. Even say if it's fifty megs, right? That's going to come through a USB three connector so quick, and at that stage, it gets put into the computer's RAM. And really, you know, from then on, it's your CPU and your RAM and all that stuff that counts, not your hard disk access. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it would be good if we could take a second look at this question. If we mm-hmm. knew what if we knew what Scott was using as his editing platform, because uh, as as uh, Antonio pointed out, if he's going if he's working in a Windows and a Mac environment, he can't be using um, Aperture. Right. And it would be good to know what he's doing because that's really a second side of the equation. Yeah, I I mean, well, since we're it, from going forward now, I I am probably I mean if this. If he's about to move to a new MacBook, I would say I would recommend not buying Aperture. I'm sorry to say this, but just because Apple is no longer going to be There's supporting no it. There's no point spending money on it, right? You, you there would be no point spending money on Yes, exactly. So, you know, going forward as a system, and I'm probably going to get, a, I don't know if Bart, you're going to get a lot of emails about people yelling at me about this. I'm sorry. Oh, I boy, love, <laughs> well, I love Aperture, and I'm not going to go into the, you know, we've done this a bazillion times. I'm not going to go into it. I love Aperture. I'm sorry that Apple's not, you know, forwarding it anymore. But it wouldn't be the system I would start setting someone up with, you know. So, um, Kenny, as you're saying, it's like, you know, I don't know what system he's using, but I would suggest that if he's going to start something new, he would, he should try Lightroom as the, as the system of choice. It's kind of your only choice at the moment, right? Because even if you, even if you believe that this photos thing from Apple is going to be brilliant, and which is a whole question that's entirely just down. That's to another episode, belief, right? right? That's just a belief. Now we have no facts. 
even if you believe that, there's still a year to go. So what are you going to do? Twiddle your thumbs for a year? Good point. So now that we've convinced Scott to buy Lightroom, I'll give you my other. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, None of us are in the mail, Scott. I'll, I'll <laughs> give you my. I'll give you my other solution, and it's also what I did with Lightroom, and and it's amazing how quickly you forget how to use other software because I can't remember if there would have been a way of doing this in in Aperture, but I don't think it would have been as easy. Uh, but maybe maybe if you were running a referenced library out of Aperture, you could do this. But what I, what I did was, I, on my MacBook Pro, I installed a uh, smaller SSD for what was going to be the operating system and, and so forth, and then left in the spinning hard drive in, in the uh, optical drive bay. Okay. If, if, it's, if so, you're buying a new MacBook, there's one thing it ain't gonna have. No, I no, I understand that. But what I, the solution that I had is something that would translate also to an external drive. So I was gonna. Mm-hmm. So that was the situation I had, which was it was it was as if I had an SSD that was small, yeah. and then an external drive. But really, it wasn't external; it was internal. But it would be the same thing. Okay. Yeah. So what I did in Lightroom was in the folders section I actually created a folder uh that was directed towards the SSD and when I had a project that was on something that I was going to work on right then I would import onto the SSD that would be the drive that I was working with I'd work with all the photos and so forth but when I finished the project it's easy to just drag it from there and put it onto the uh spinning hard drive, which in my case was internal, but it could just as easily be an external drive that you plugged in. So that referring to Scott's issue, he could he could always import into onto the uh, SSD and then when he gets done moving gets done working with because he says he always wants to work on the SSD. Hmm. There's probably some speed advantage to doing that as opposed to having it go to the external or not. So he could work on that, carry the small amount that he's carrying on the on the SSD, and then sim- it, it's just so simple to and and Antonio could probably explain it better. But it's so simple to just drag it internally uh, within Lightroom and then it moves it. It doesn't lose it. Lightroom knows where it is. Um, obviously, with the uh, the uh, upgrade um, to Lightroom Five and the smart previews, I was going to mention that as well. But even if you don't do that, this would be a way of uh, uh, keeping track of those things and just having a working drive, and then moving the stuff off to the external um, and still be able to see it in your in your library whenever you plugged in uh, or turned on Lightroom. Yeah, so, so. That, I mean, with these smart previews, that actually were, it sounds like a really cool solution because. So all of your recent images you keep on the SSD until you either ran out of space or decided it was time to move them. But all of your other stuff you still effectively have it with you, just not at full resolution. But that's still pretty right. useful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, And it's just really, it's just dead simple to just drag it. You don't, you don't want to do it within the file structure. You do it within Lightroom itself, but you just drag it and it, and it moves it and it keeps track of where it is. It's real simple. The other approach that obviously one could consider and i'm not saying recommend because i don't think it's a good idea but people do split their library um it is it is something you can always do but i would say don't split your library because then you can't search for anything 
and I have a funny feeling we covered this in the last show and everyone sort of thought yeah, the same. Yeah, and again, it, it depends. Like for me, uh, I, have, I just passed um, 300,000 pictures in my, my Lightroom library. 300 and maybe 310,000 now I'm at. Um, and mainly because I want to, yeah, crazy. Mainly because I want to be able to see them all anytime I want. People say break it up, break it up, and I'm like no, you know, it, my library isn't that much slower. So, yeah. um, but that being said, you know, there is something to be said for creating uh, a library for every year, um, and like maintaining that on your hard drive for that year, and then offloading it at the end of the year and starting a new library. I mean, it all depends on how you want to access your pictures. Um, you know, the downside is. I mean, with a, well, I mean, the reality is, if with this with Scott's situation, I mean, he's not going to be able to keep that much. You know, he might, depending on his shooting style, mm. um, he might be able to keep a year's worth of pictures on his on his two hundred and fifty gig, fifty uh, six gig drive. Maybe uh, he might not be able to. Um, so I don't know. I think you know that that's an option, but. For me, the whole purpose of these programs like Aperture and Lightroom is that I want to be able to, you know, it's not just for processing pictures. And Bart, I think you know this too. It's like you want to be able to go into your library and find stuff when you need it. And, yeah. yeah I mean, um, we, we spend all this time with metadata. What's the point? Yeah. If it's, yeah. Go, if it's took off in a different file somewhere, we've got to open every file one by one and do our search. Yeah. You know, if someone says to me, do you have a picture of a Belgian railway locomotive in the snow? Well, I, you know, if all of my stuff's in the same library, I can stick in the keyword snow, Belgium, whatever, and out will pop either a picture yeah. or not a picture. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I sort of go back to saying, like, uh, keeping, like, a working set of pictures on this MacBook is probably a good idea, but having a main library that you always go back to that you can keep adding to. Uh, I mean, because the MacBook and laptops are portable so that you can take them around and, you know, you could work in the coffee shop if you wanted. I mean, do you really need to have access to every single picture of yours while you're, you know, in Starbucks? No, but you can have that working set with you. But when you go back home, you plug in and you have your access to your entire library. So, um, you know, this idea of like keeping a small set of pictures with you, uh, maybe doing the smart preview thing, which is a good way to see it. Um Maybe just downloading your pictures while you're on the road, like you, you know, you're doing a shoot and you want to work on the pictures while you're in the hotel. I mean, that's great, but like going home and making sure that home is your 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 base station, and um, because you're gonna, run, you know, two fifty six gigs, you're gonna run out of space very fast. Yeah. Now, you know, there is a lot to be said for buying a little, a small little portable external drive that will hold all of your stuff. You know, I find that really helpful when I'm spending a few days at my parents' place. They have, you know, they have a computer. I don't have to drag mine. I just stick my little external drive in my pocket and I have everything with me. But the price you pay for that luxury is the fact that you're not working off your shiny SSD. You're working off a little external drive that's, you know, USB 3 and it's not too bad. So, you know, I think they're probably the different options to look at. Anyone else have any thoughts on this one? Just a question um, for the rest of the group. Uh, I had mentioned the the cloud issue before, and I wonder if any of you guys are using the cloud as a either for storage or as a working uh, library volume. Negative. Nope. Uh, I don't use not, it for not, working. I have it for backup. Um, I'm. Uh, let's see. What service am I using? Back. Am I using Backblaze? I'm using CrashPlan. <laughs> I used okay. to use back. And uh, backing up your pictures. Yeah. Really. Oh. Yeah. 
I, um, it's, it's unlimited I, backup, so why not? It, yeah, it's unlimited. It took a while to get it started, but I actually I have so I have an external drive for backup, and I also have uh, I use a crash plan to backup my pictures folder and you know some other uh, documents and basically that kind of stuff. So. It's actually a good oh, segue. Okay. You know how we how we keep our stuff safe. Um, there, there's the classic. Was it, was it the three two one rule for backup? Three copies, two media, at least one offsite. Right, remembering mm-hmm. that, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Mark, so in your case, you have the two media are hard disks and the cloud, and the offsite is the cloud, and there are three copies. So that seems check, check, check. Right. Yeah, I've got my. I have a terabyte on the iMac, and the whole library is there. That's all backed up to the to my external drive here and everything's backed up uh, through crash plan yeah so that's that's the one two three antonio given that you literally make you know butter your bread with photography i'm guessing you think about backups a lot yeah backup is uh sort of my middle name on this, <laughs> you know but you know i don't have the you know i don't have the off-site the um meaning the the cloud storage because I, I just i'm I guess I, I should have done it a long time ago because I'm now in terabytes of information. I don't know how long it would take to upload. Um, well, you, start you can do a seeding. You can do a seeding program and pay. You could pay have a drive filled up and it, it doesn't send it to ex- them. Yeah, it costs extra, but you know, yeah. as a they send you a drive. You fill it up yeah, and you send it yeah. back. As a professional, it may be you know you could justify the cost of doing that, but yeah, I mean that's it, what I would. Can, that's what I would yeah. do. If I was going, I mean, if I was going to do the offsite, um, I haven't done that yet. More, it's like just removing hard drives and bringing them to. Antonio, to how my big storage. is your uh, how big is your library? Oh, it's big. <laughs> it starts with it ends with the letters TB. I'm guessing not GB. <laughs> I just I've, I've been I've got a, a couple of boxes here full of uh, three terabyte hard drives. I'm sure I'm up, about to upgrade my uh, my library with, but uh, okay. I don't know. I mean, the, the, a rock. Uh, my if I was to look at my Drobo, I've got a twelve terabyte Drobo, and it's mostly full. And that's a, that's a one of my backup systems. So it's a lot of it's a lot of stuff. Many one of the nice things I mean, Mark has mentioned Crash Plan, and I myself am a Crash Plan user. And if you have a Drobo, Drobo has a Drobo app that they've built uh, in conjunction with Crash Plan, which makes it completely seamless. So, uh, and I'm not doing a commercial of a Crash Plan, or at least not trying to. But if you were to set up uh, an account with them, you could put this app on your Drobo and, you know, wait a week or two and it would probably be backed up. Probably be uploaded. You know, I'm going to, I'm, you know, I'm hearing more about this and it's like, you know, my suddenly my, my internet upload speed has gone up. Um, Thank you to uh, Cablevision um, for some reason. So it might actually be a practical thing for me to do now to, to, to upload, but it's going to, Take a long time. It's gonna be a lot of electricity while my computer is running. I'll probably wait till the winter. <laughs> I, like, I, w- I would say to you that you you know it's that that initial the initial shock of getting started would be the problem for you. But even with high volumes of of pictures, you know, after you've got the bulk of it up, and it, you know, however you do it by seeding it or taking months to get it uploaded, once you've done that, it's actually an easy process then because then it's just all it's always running and it's sort of you know trickling up as you as you add the pictures and and yeah. maybe too with some sort of uh judicious decision making as far as well what am i going to back up you know am i going to load a thousand pictures but really i only need to back up 
you know, half of those or whatever. Maybe mm. maybe you're maybe a backup a different folder or something like that. But you could you could figure it out. Yeah. I was just the other thing I was gonna say, Bart, just mm-hmm. since we're talking about photos and backup, just remind people oftentimes we think of things like Flickr as the the place where we share. Mm. But you could also if you think about it, it's you know, if you if you are loading, depending on what service you're using and how big the file is you're loading or what you're sharing out, um, potentially those are somewhat backup solutions as well for our photographs. But you know, if you if you assume we're share, I mean, if you if you assume we're sharing our best pictures, then that means our best pictures have been saved somewhere. You know, so. what that means is that a low resolution version of our best pictures, which is un, which has lost all of its edits. Well, that's saved, true. So. I wouldn't say a low, not a low resolution. Well, it is for resolution. me. I never send up anything bigger than a thousand pixels. Why? Why wouldn't you? And Flickr? What's yeah. the difference? Well, why, why, would not, why would you not? Why would you steal them? You you have control over. I mean, you know, you have control over whether or not people download pictures on Flickr or not. So yeah, you can I control don't that. Trust any of that? Well, well, given be that as it may, I mean. You can turn off the downloading of pictures. And the only thing that people can do is do a screenshot of that. And they're going to do that one way or another, whether you put a high res or low res on there anyway. Yeah, but so, depending on, you know, they can't make it bigger than the, the size I give them. They can only make it smaller. Anyway, okay. that, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, I mean, even, if, I mean, even if it's I, a big you know, phone. I, I sure am glad I brought that up. No, no, <laughs> okay, okay, you know, I should be the paranoid one because I'm the one who's you know, supposed to be making a living from my photography. And you know, I found Flickr. Mark, what you said was true. It's like I've actually, for some stupid reason, I deleted some pictures. And I won't go into the story about that. But the only place I had you know, high-res JPEG versions of it was on Flickr. And because now the new version of Flickr gives you sort of this almost unlimited amount of storage, especially with JPEG images, um, you could you can put up so many high res pictures there, and you can control um, on how whether or not they're downloaded. Um, people can't necessarily right click them and download them, or just uh, go to the connection and download. But they can be there for you. You can also keep them private, Bart. True. You don't have to make them public. They can be private, and then nobody can see them, and then they are. That's an off-site storage for you, too. But it's, it's still and, not a full backup, though, because you have no, lost no, yes. the non-destructive nature of our shiny non-destructive editors. So it is Being a that, But there's a finished picture that you've created. Like, I'm happy with this version, and you're going to share it, and you put it someplace. And so, yes, it's not the layered Photoshop version. We're not talking about that. But it is a place where, like, well, geez, if the worst-case scenario happened, at least you've got this processed picture which you can grab. Yes, you may not be able to edit again, but it's better than nothing. Oh, sure. And yeah. that's what happened to me. I mean, I, I got rid of this picture. You know, I got rid of this picture. I could rescan it. It was from a slide that I shot, and I still have the slide. I mean, so it, was, it wasn't a disaster, but I'd done some processing to it, and I had deleted it for some stupid reason. And, you know, I was, I was like, oh, wait, it's on Flickr. You know, and I got it, and it was the full high-res version. I was able to get it back. I mean, yes. If I want I to re-edit it, yeah, con- I got to scan it. We're confusing two worlds, though. I mean, the world of photo sharing and the world of backup, and I think, you know, the, the world of photo sharing, you, you, you have all the issues that Bart brought to the fore in terms of who do, we, who do you want to see things and, and what do you want to see and what quality and so forth. But if the standpoint is, is and your concern is just making sure you have a copy, I think one of the backup services, whether it's a crash plan or a Carbonite or any of these services, I think those are your best bet because the only person who has access to them is you and whether they're small JPEG files or huge TIFF files, it doesn't matter. They're usually limited, uh, unlimited, I should say. 
Yeah. I I'm guess, also going to toss I just, I'm sorry. I, no, I was, I, just to clarify, I wasn't suggesting that that would be a, a good primary backup system. I was just – we have – we have people of varying degrees of how many, how many photos they're producing and of what quality and how how much they care that they have the original raw photo versus the you know the cropped and and uh, you know, a, a bit of exposure maybe on an, on a JPEG and and you can think of you know in, incorporate your photo sharing into your backup plan in the sense that hey I need to make sure and get that up there and keep track of that or whatever that that's all I was saying. And as, as Antonio proved, it is a get-out-of-jail-free card, if nothing, if nothing else. Yeah, and I'm also going to throw in a couple of cents for anybody who's on the higher level um, who's going to be selling pictures is to look into Photo Shelter as well um, as one of the services. I don't know about SmugMug and those other places, but you know you can get professional plans there where they give you a certain amount of storage and you can upload layered Photoshop files or photo, layered TIFF files and, and save them there and get access to the original file. And then you have total control over them, and then you can create websites from that stuff as well. Cool. And I, I I use Zenfolio and it's a you know I pay yearly and I can store stuff and they just in, they just incorporated you could actually store raw files there now so there are lots of alternatives for photographers. Now, being able to do any of the cloudy stuff is very much dependent on having good internet, um, yes. particularly good upload speed. So there's going to be a lot of our listeners who don't have that luxury. So up until a few months ago, I I did not have good internet at all at all, but. Then someone decided to put some fiber optic in our street, and that changed things a lot. But I still actually do my backups without cloudiness because, well, I don't have to pay anything. Um, and I already have everything to do with the old way. So basically what I bought was a pair, a pair of identical bare drives, and I have a little drive toaster. And at all points in time, either both of the drives are off-site or one of the drives is off-site, but there's never zero of the drives off-site. So basically, I leave one of them in a safe place where I work as it happens and I'll have one of them at home I'll do a backup to it I'll bring it to work so there'll temporarily be two drives off site and then I'll bring one of them home and do another backup but at no point in that process are all of my drives ever in the same place because I used to have just one external drive and then I realised that if something went wrong while I was bringing the drive home to do a backup they were all together which is kind of not the point and that's not off site anymore so that's sort of how I approach it because bare drives are way cheaper so you buy a toaster once and then you buy like a four terabyte drive now and I'll do you a couple of years and then they'll come out with like eight terabyte drives. So you buy two of those, but you don't change the toaster. So that's sort of how I've approached that without having, before I had good internet. Hmm. And can we all agree that we're done with optical drives? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay. I mean, just no, because I keep hearing people talking about, well, I want to burn it on DVD. I'm like, like, forget it. How many we're hundred done. DVDs is that for a modern photo library? No, just forget it. We like I, I used to back up on DVDs like when I came back from a shoot and I'd back up and it would sit there for however long and if I had, you know, four cards worth and now there's so many much so many more gigabytes to come back with. It's like I'm not gonna sit there for an hour burning discs and you know, forget it. So we're done with the optical drives. Yeah, and they also bit rod is a real problem. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I have yeah. lost stuff that I burnt to disc because it, it just dies. Whereas yeah. a hard drive that's turned on regularly keeps its data well okay so i'm you know hopefully scott will answer your question i don't know if we, we move from <laughs> well, i bet he's, part of the I bet he's right? sorry he asked yeah well no but, <laughs> yeah, he's sorry he's <laughs> you know you're getting scott, yourself... yes you know we're we're telling you what to do yeah we did say we'd use a starting point so but no if you're buying a new computer you do have to think about backup too 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I, again, I'll, I'll go and uh, I'll go on the record saying, like, you know, having well, what you said, Bart, about having a little external hard drive with you, um, you know, as a t- you know, as a storage place, but go home and plug it in, and you know, into those big hard drives that you got there, and that's where your that's where your main library should be. Yeah. When, and I and I know how to pull pull our last conversation back onto Scott's question. If you do follow our, our advice and split your working stuff from your library, keep that in mind when you do the backup and make sure you're backing up everything, not just one or the other. Ooh. Oh, that's gosh. A good point. Yeah. Oh, well, that's great advice. Because I my advice was that he puts it in two different places, essentially, and uh, that means he's got two places to back up. It does, yeah, because otherwise you could could you imagine all of your newest photos are sitting in one place Ooh. and you backed up the other? Yeah, that, that could get hairy. Yeah. Not good. Hmm. Okay, well, I think, hopefully, we've answered Scott's question there. So, um, Mark, can I uh, call on your uh, reading out loud skills again? Absolutely. So our second question is from our friend Allison Sheridan. Here's her question. You guys often talk about using a gray card thingy, and while I understand that it's to set your white balance, I don't actually know how to do it. Can you guys give a step-by-step, or is that too technical for this show? If not, then it would be nice if you guys didn't refer to it because it always makes me sad. Uh, I did find this cute lens cap cover that is a gray card, all for $3 that would fit one of my lenses. And then she gives us a incredibly long, unreadable URL. So uh, <laughs> let, me, let me channel Allison Sheridan. And before we answer the question of uh, how do you use a gray card uh, or even answer the question, what is a gray card? Her first question should be, what's the problem to be solved with a gray card? Ah, yeah. Well, it, I'm going to take a stab at it. I guess it all depends. Um, the, it can be a problem and it cannot be a problem. Uh, it all depends on whether you shoot JPEG or RAW. <laughs> yes, if you shoot JPEG, it is. It is. It, liter- it is. It is. It because if you shoot only JPEGs, then it is a big issue. If you shoot RAW, well, it's an issue, but it's not necessarily a disaster. Okay. Um, basically, you're, the idea is that you're trying to balance the um, camera sensor with the light source that it's recording. So whereas um, indoor light has a certain color, what they call it is a color temperature, and outdoor light has a different color temperature. And if you don't balance your camera to those color temperatures when you take a picture – like if you take a picture inside and the and the and the lights inside are creating a picture that looks too warm, then you haven't created what's called a you know um, a balanced picture. The white balance is incorrect. And if you go outside, the opposite. If you take a picture and it's too blue or something like that, it's the same thing. Um, so basically, it's it's setting up the camera to record the correct light for the scene that you're recording. Mm. Um, so our our brains are playing tricks on us because you might say that well something that looks white is obviously something that has equal amounts of red green and blue but the thing is if you walk into a room that's lit up with a light with a with a color on it say a tungsten light or something our brains adjust for that fact and white paper still looks like white paper even though it's not Mm -hmm. white if you were to stick a thingamabob and measure it and so if we don't do the same with our photos they'll look awful exactly and and you know, to to Antonio's point, and taking it a step further to what you just said, Bart. You know, you can be outdoors, you can be indoors, but you could even be indoors and have different types of light. Whether it were 
tungsten, fluorescent, or, or whatever, which are very, very different scenarios. And the, the camera manufacturers try to make it easy for us by allowing us to select some basic rudimentary settings for those different types of lighting, whether it be sunshine or in a cloud or fluorescent or whatever. But the gray card helps us to be a little more exact. I'd like to I'd like to show my age for a second, <laughs> if on. I may. Sometimes I get proud of this. Ooh, you know. But the days when we used to shoot film, there was indoor film and outdoor film. There was yeah. film that was balanced. The color was balanced for the light that the sun produced, and there was film that was balanced for the light that light bulbs produced. Those were the only two films that we really had. We never had film that was balanced for fluorescent lights. We never had film that was balanced for sodium vapor lights, the kind of, you know, street lights. Uh, and, and just as a geek thing, do we know why it's called tungsten? Why we, why we have a tungsten balance? Do you know what tungsten is? I don't actually know that. You don't? No. Uh, Bart, I thought... I should, mm, but I just realized now you, but I don't. I would have expected it you for some reason, but tungsten is the filament that's in a light bulb, or at least it used to be. Oh. That is heated to create the light in a in a you know a light bulb that goes in a lamp. So the so, not energy efficient light bulb. Yeah, the old non curly you know non LED non compact fluorescent bulbs would have a little filament which would get heated by the electricity and glow and cause a, cause a, so those were tungsten filaments inside of those. So that's why we call it a tungsten film balance. It's probably not you know. By the time the, you know this podcast, you know in a year, people are like, "Well, it's tungsten." Yeah, no one's going to understand that anyway. Yeah, so there was tungsten. Sorry, it's I was funny say though. Was... So tungsten. See, I assumed that tungsten was like you have mercury lights, which is because there's mercury vapor in the gas that's glowing, and you have sodium lights because it's sodium vapor that's in the glass that's growing. So I sort of assumed that tungsten vapor was used in tungsten lights. So there, there you go. Tungsten, how wrong I was. Tungsten filaments. So <laughs> that's what glowed. Yeah, and and that temperature. Is a t- you know without getting geeky thing, but you know the, there's a temperature in degrees Kelvin, and that's physics about heating up a black body to certain temperatures. But um, the heat, the the light that a light bulb gives off is a certain color, and they, it's it's given a temperature number um, by the scale Kelvin. And a tungsten light bulb is is a scale between like 2,700 degrees Kelvin to 3,500 degrees Kelvin, which gives out a warm, glowy, orangey, yellow light. Um, in, in relationship to like outdoor sunlight, sunlight is 5,000 degree Kelvin. So it's a sort of cleaner, still a little bit warm, but, you know, not as uh, – uh, um, anyway – so, hey, you know what, though, guys? I think I think we're getting a little bit into the weeds, and yeah. we're not really helping <laughs> our friend. I, we're not no, helping our friend no, Allison, who's but, standing there with a gray card, saying, "What the hell do I okay, do?" Okay, well, let's pull it back so, a bit, right? So, yeah, 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 yeah thanks. All right, so if you your camera sensor just records all the frequencies of light that fall into it, which is why a raw file is so big because it's recording everything that hit the sensor, and then our little JPEGs are smaller. Well, the question has to be, what was thrown away? Something had to be thrown away. How else did it get smaller? And the answer is your, your little camera with a very small computer, which, you know, all computers are dumb, but small computers are very dumb. Your little camera takes a best guess at what way the white balance is. It takes the frequencies at once, and all the other frequencies that were captured by the card get dumped. You get a small file out, problem solved. But if your camera makes the wrong guess, the data's gone. You've thrown it out. That's why you've got a little JPEG instead of a big RAW file. And that's why if you, have, if you shoot in RAW... 
and the what camera guesses the white balance wrong, well, it's a little bit more work in post, right? You've got to drag the sliders about and make it look right. But if you do that in JPEG, the data is gone. The computer will interpolate a little bit. It'll guess, but it can never magic the data back. And Which so that, is another reason to shoot raw as much as you can. Right. So that's the so, problem to be solved. If you don't get the white balance right, your pictures look wrong. And if you didn't shoot raw, they're irrecoverably wrong. So and, then the question for Allison is really, how does she use this darn thing? And I think there's really two ways. One is in, in shooting the picture, and the other is in post. So why don't we talk about that a little bit? Has anyone got experience of setting the white balance in camera? Because I never do that. Yeah, setting the white balance in camera is something I do quite often, especially when I'm in a situation where the lighting is weird, meaning there's a lot of, you know, maybe my camera is not picking up the light correctly and I'm taking a sample shot and it's not looking right. You know, I'm using maybe the automatic white balance in the camera, so the camera's trying to figure it out, but it's it's not good at it. So using a, uh, a, a proper white balance card... Um, um, I, I point it. I point the camera at this card, and I set it up for what's called a preset. Um, many cameras have have the ability to create, you know, a custom white balance. So you tell the camera, "I'm about to shoot something white." Right. Basically, yeah. You're saying, "Well, ee, oh, sorry, gray, white, not gray, well, color. neutral, neutral, something without color." Okay. It's not technically white. I mean, people can use people like to white balance off of white pieces of paper, and I can tell you why that's not a great idea in a second. White but blue. The white papers can be multiple different colors. Well, I, I you know. find I always get blue pictures out when I do that silly thing. Yeah, well, white – well, okay. Technically, like white paper, people use copy paper. Mm. A lot of paper have optical brighteners in them, which means there's some colors mixed into the paper that we can't see with our eyes. We perceive it as white, but the camera is sensitive enough to see it. And, and because it's so sensitive, it will actually create a wrong white balance. But a, a neutral color card is usually a gray card – and it's very. It tends to be a light gray card, and I use a card uh, from this company called Wibal. W H I B A L. Um, it's a very light gray card, and I set that up in my lighting situation that I'm going to be shooting in. And I find the menu setting on the camera that allows me to do a preset um, custom white balance. And I basically point the camera at this card, and once the camera looks at it and sees it, and I press the button it will tell me if it read that card correctly it usually says good my night kind of says good you know good, oh, good. reading well, that's nice yeah it says good yeah and what does it, it says, say if it's not happy i think it says no good oh <laughs> it doesn't say bad it just says no good but if it says good then the camera says i've got, you know basically it's telling you yes i read that as your neutral color in this lighting situation and i will now set the white balance appropriately to the light that's in the room or the area that I'm in. And then when you take a picture, you'll notice that the colors are pretty neutral, generally. And you can um, generally store those, correct? You store those. I think a lot of cameras have a couple of, like on my Nikon, I think I have up to four different um, custom settings I can use um, to store those settings. So if, I'm in a, if I keep going to the same situation again and again and again, I can store that, you know, that white balance. Um, a lot again, of situations are ephemeral, though, right? If you're, if you're standing in the same place in different weather, you may get different answers. Yeah, I mean, if you're, you could certainly be, you'd be shooting a, you know, a concert that starts at dusk and goes to night, and the lighting is going to change from, you know, you know, in an hour the light will change. I'm, I'm talking there's... about, you know, if you're going to set a white balance, and you're going to be in a consistent place. You know, it's very helpful for that. But right. you, you, can, you technically can't change your white balance every ten minutes as the sun is setting because it would be 
It'd be insane. So, <laughs> but, you could I do it. I mean, if you want, that's fine. That's if yeah. if you if you have the slots for custom settings. I mean, there's certainly if you're in a studio and you know that the light's going to be the same all the time, you might set it up for your studio and you know your lights are always going to be the same. Or if you always shoot in the same auditorium for your kids and the lights are always the same or something. I I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm running out of my imagination's not going very good, but. There, certainly, you could be in the same situation, so you set it up, and you know, okay, it's always going to look like that. Let's let's set a custom white balance. I'm always going to shoot there. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. And it's good okay. to carry one of these cards with you all the time because it 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 helps you to, you know, when you need it, you 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 know, uh, you know what the problem? Sorry, the problem I have all the time is compact fluorescent bulbs. Any place that are, is lit by compact fluorescent bulbs, my Nikon has a devil of a time to try to get an automatic white balance there. It what I find goes, with my Nikons is that the color yellow throws them off completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yellow I mean, flowers, it just has no... Have you, tried, have you tried custom white balance part? Oh, what I tend to do is I tend to get it close enough in camera with just the presets. You know, I am outside, the sun is out, I will dial it to the sun. And I'll, yeah. I'll fix it in post. Okay. But actually, no, I, I use the second technique that we haven't talked about yet. So leave, leave and, me aside for now. Yeah, and, and let me I, – I don't – I haven't ever done a, a custom uh, setting. But knowing – looking at the questions before we started recording, I wanted to give some thought to it. And I looked at the uh, manual. I'm shooting Canon. It sounds like maybe Canon's not quite as easy as what Antonio has described for uh, Nikon. So I would say, first of all, read your – Read your manual. It'll tell you how to how to do your custom settings. Uh, for Canon, you you actually shoot the picture, then you go to the menu and say, "I want to do a custom setting." You uh, and then it gives you a grid of all the pictures that are on your card. You scroll to the one that you want to use for that has the gray card in it, and and that's how you set it. So it's a little bit doesn't sound like it's quite as intuitive as as what uh, Antonio described for Nikon. But so so to answer Allison, if we were going to do that, she would use the little lens cap and get it into the light that she wants to use, uh, get that pretty much centered in into the uh, area that does the the uh, metering and shoot it, uh, shoot a good picture and then do the custom setting, correct? Yeah, so the lens cap is, is kind of like a ubiquitous white card sort of. Well, I think that it, it just as important is, is the point that others have made earlier in the show, which is if you're shooting in, in RAW, uh, it's not really all that important anyway because it's kind of easy to adjust after the fact. And I wonder if uh, any of you but, guys would care to comment on whatever yeah. you're using as photo editors to fix well, these things afterwards. I, I, let me, well, let's let me, leave that for a second, Kenny, because yeah. we still have the whole second yeah. way of doing this. Right? So the first yeah, way is I, you tell your camera, I am about to tell you what white is. Here is white. The camera then continues on with life. But the other technique is just to fix it in post. And then what you do then is you hold the card into a shot... You take your picture, and then you just keep shooting. You don't change any settings on your camera. You get home, and then you use a little eyedropper in whatever app you're using. You drop it onto the gray card. It takes a reading, and then you paste that same adjustment onto all of your photos you took, and then they're all correct, in theory. And, and Bart, just to add, that's probably a more useful technique as the light is changing. Yes, because you all you need to do, up again. right? All you need to do is like, well, 15 minutes have, have elapsed, and the sun has changed. You know, whatever. You know, I can just hold a, you know, quickly take one shot of this white balance card, stick it in the frame, and then you're done. And then you have that for post. Again, though, that's important to remember that it's it's for you know it's important to shoot raw files. 
Yeah, if you shoot JPEG, it'll just tell you how wrong you were. Exactly. Yeah. Um, JPEG is not going to give you a lot of options in the in the post production for fixing that. Yeah. I can, have, I, can I um, just? I have ones that, fit, that come with a lanyard, and so I just would have them on when I'm out and about, and I care about white balance. And I'll, every 15 minutes or so, I'll just hold them up, take a pic. There's lots of pictures basically of my arm with a white card and various backgrounds. <laughs> That's a photo project right there. That would be great, you know. That's a can good I, point. Though, can actually. I just can I just interject and make sure that that I want to say something really simplistic that maybe every single person listening knows, but just to be clear, Allison's question mentions a lens cap with a gray card in it. Mm-hmm. You, you don't you don't put the lens cap on. You're it's just that's a convenient holder. <laughs> Right. Oh, so but I know they yeah. exist where basically you have a neutral see-through lens cap that gives you white light in. It's like a trans, a translucent. Okay, so thing so what is, your, is that what is that yeah, what she's referring to? Yeah, yeah. Okay. There's a there's a lot of devices. I can't remember the names of them, but you screw them on, or it's, it's like a lens cap, but it's translucent with a neutral white, and then you just basically take a picture with that. Um, and okay. it is. And it's filtering through the lens, and it's giving your. That's another one that you could use when you shoot every fifteen minutes. Yeah, um, the, okay, well, the problem, well, then it wasn't. Though, if you use that approach, is that if you're pointing it down at the ground, it's going to get biased towards all the green grass or up at the sky. It might get biased by the blue. Right, right. It's much more difficult to get it right with a translucent one than with a piece of paper. Well, a piece of not paper, but a piece of properly balanced paper. Okay, right. so it wasn't a simplistic question at all. It was actually. Really so now important. I ha- so now I have a question. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm now I'm confused and and I'm going to ask Allison's question again. So if this, my understanding of what you were doing with a gray card would be, let me let me give you a scenario so that you can understand the question. So let's say I'm where I'm outside, and where I'm standing is kind of sort of shaded. I'm maybe there's a tree right by me or something. Mm-hmm. But my the subject the person that I'm shooting is, you know, 10 feet in front of me, and they're actually having sunlight strike them. Mm-hmm. And I would have, this is how I've imagined it, I give them the gray card, have them hold it so that I can get the gray into the shot. Yes. Um, so that I have something to meter off of. So that's my understanding of how the gray card would be, which is that it's you're getting gray in the light of the subject that you're shooting. Yes, so, it, it, it has to be in how, the light that you care about. But if you're doing landscape right. shots, that means you hold it up in your arm. Yeah. Okay, but how do the how the heck does this how do, putting color in front of immediately in front of your lens like a lens cap? How does that help? Because it's not you're not. I don't care about the light that's millimeters in front of my lens. I care about the light that is um, out where the you know out where the uh, subject is. Well, but that's uh, why you have to be really careful with those translucent ones. You, you, they're, re- they're okay in a studio where you can just basically put the thing into the same light that your stuff is in, but they're no good for landscape shots. I would agree with you, Ken, um, uh, Bart, on that, because you are picking up so many different colors, even through the translucency. I can't imagine that the camera, the, um, the white balance lens cap is going to give you a proper white balance, but... In that, you're also not going to take that white balance card and run out into the middle of, you know, a landscape, and it'll be too small for you to take a picture of oh, anyway. Look, there's one pixel there. I'll just meet her. Right. Up. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. Well, uh, and I, I was going to get there eventually. I, har- I never use a gray card because it's pretty hard to get a tree or a mountain to hold one. <laughs> <laughs> <It's>, uh, 
Did you ever I've ask? To the I've, I've, I've asked the mountain. I asked nicely, and they simply will not Mark, do you it. Give it to the bald eagle, and you say, "Fly over that way." <laughs> so, I, I mean, you're talking about a person. If you were talking about a person, and they're in a different lighting situation, and it was you know a portrait um, than where your camera is, it makes sense to give them the card, zoom up on them, or something like that, take the shot, and then go back to your position and, and then take pictures. Then in post, you could find the right white balance, or you'd do the preset there. You know, a landscape, you're pretty much kind of, you know, um, you know, you're you're not going to be using a white balance card necessarily unless the light that you're in is very similar to the light that you're looking at in the landscape. But that's usually you know? the case, though, because let's face it, the sun shines on the whole planet. So assuming you're not in shade, yeah, it's, it actually works fine because I do this very regularly. I like to shoot at sunset, but I hate overly yellow pictures. They drive me nuts. I, I like mm-hmm. the colors to be true. And so... When I'm shooting at dusk, I will every 10 minutes even just hold out arm's length, making sure I'm in the same light as my subject, take a picture with my arm in it, and work off that. I was going to hold this for, for after we talked about how to do this in processing, but since mm-hmm. we went here already, I sort of pushed us to this spot. Um, I, I wanted to answer Allison's question uh, as far as when she says, how do you do it sort of thing, what I w- one of the things I was going to mention is it's really situational. Um, it depends on what you're shooting and what you're doing, whether this is even a useful thing to you. Like, like I said, I, since I shoot so much landscape and so much of what I shoot is quite a long ways from my, where I'm standing or where the camera is, it's, at least for me, it's not realistic to to be using a gray card, so I hard, I've hardly ever done it. But Mark, you, but if you're, you're standing in the sun, the same sun is shining on the mountain. You you can meter off that sun right where you are. You don't. Ha- it doesn't have to be on the mountain. True. But what I was going to say is that you're when you're going to you're going to be using this more often if you're maybe shooting people and you're close, or you're doing product shots. Uh, maybe if you're shooting stuff for eBay or whatever it, situations where where. Uh, you might be in a different situation where a gray card might be more useful. That's all I was going to point out. Is that it? Just kind of depends on what you're what you're shooting and why. And um, can can I add to that for a second? Yeah. It also depends. Like, I mean, you may not always want to have a white balanced picture. Excellent. White I was balanced, hoping someone was going to take us here. Yeah. Okay. That's me. But I mean. You know, sometimes you look at pictures, and, you know, if you're shooting inside of a living room and you're trying to get the feeling of warmth and you white balance in there, you actually white balance inside that, it's going to look, it's probably going to look kind of terrible. It's going to look kind of lame. If you want to get that warmth in the picture, you may not want to have a balanced, you know, um, a white balanced picture. So it's all really, it is going to depend on what you're shooting. I mean, if you're, if you're looking to reproduce colors and stuff like that, and you're not sure if your lights have changed, you know, like they've gotten your, the bulbs in your, uh, are, are getting old and, uh, you may want to, you know, test the white balance and then it makes sense. But sometimes you don't always want to have that, but you, you don't want to white balance a sunset by, uh, for, by any means. No, <laughs> I disagree. Well, the, Sort of depends on what you're trying to do, I guess. If you white balance no, the sunset, it's, it's going to look terrible. It's not going to look. It's going to look kind of not warm and nice. It's going to look terrible. I think. So let's uh, let's summarize then what we've what we've come to to in answering our friend Allison's question. Well, I think before we summarize, I just want to throw something else in. Um, so the way I look at at a correct and I, I use the word in inverted commas, basically a scientifically correct white balance, which is all it is, right? It's just. To, you know, there's math involved, there's readings of fe- frequencies involved. It's a mathematically correct white balance. 
but that doesn't mean anything artistically. So I, I look at it as being a starting point, and then I decide creatively whether I want cooler or warmer. I don't look at it as being, oh, this is gospel, I must make this picture exactly this white balance. Mm-hmm. Which is precisely what Antonio just said. It, yeah. it really comes down to what's, what's right for you as an artist in, in, in conveying the image that you want other people to see. But the but thing I is, remember, there's, there's two sliders on the white balance thing, and that's a really big search space. So you can spend a very long time sliding those sliders to find what looks right. It's, I find it way easier to use the gray card, get what's scientifically right, and then nudge left or right. Can I ask another question? Yes. You guys have said a couple different times, if you're shooting raw, this really doesn't matter all that much because you can fix it. Um, if you're shooting JPEG, it's more important. Um, my question is that, let me give you the situation, and, and I haven't really done this, um, but it brings up the question. Uh, I know that if you have a, a situation where um, you have like a very white background or a very black background, let's say you're going to shoot a pro- shooting a, a product and you want it on a very white background so the product stands out or a very black background so that a lot of the negative space is very white or very black. That can fool the camera so the white turns gray and then that throws off the colors of the product and you, and you get, a bad pro, get, get a bad picture. Same thing with the black. All that black will fool the camera and it'll try to, it'll try to bring it down and make it look gray and also throws off the product. Does that make, is that sort of, and that would, maybe would be true, let's say you were in snow. That's and not it, a white balance issue. That's an, that's an exposure issue, yeah. Okay, but doesn't the gray card also help you fix that? Negative. And, no? No. New. No. The, okay. the white balance card has not anything to do with exposure. There are gray cards that are 18% gray that you can spot meter on, though. Exactly. And, that's, and, and white ba- uh, gray cards for that are, um, um, never, are never to be used for white balance, just to let you know. Those are two separate kinds of cards because generally okay. the 18% cards often have dyes in them that tend to skew white balance. People think, oh, I can white balance with a, with a gray card. No, you cannot. You can do exposure with it because exposure has nothing to do with the color of the picture. It's looking at the amount of light that's mm-hmm. bouncing off of it. Okay. Well, but, I'm, um, I'm, I'm really glad I asked the question because I didn't realize yeah. that. See? It's two now separate we're... cards. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, what so what is two... that other card called? It's a, it's a, um, they just call them gray cards. Great cards. Kodak. Kodak? Remember anybody remember Kodak? <laughs> Vaguely. <laughs> yeah, I used to sell them. Printers. Yeah, with old-time cameras like what I used to have and I still have, which the meters inside the camera are basically reading reflective light off of the subjects, and they didn't have the computers that they had in them. So you could take, if you wanted to know what, what kind of light was actually bouncing off of a subject, right? You needed to say, okay, well, this is a... You know, this is a seal in the snow, and if I use my camera to take a picture of it, it's going to be gray. But if I read the light that's falling on this seal, I would want to use a gray card. I want to see the light that's reflected off of it. Use that gray card, and you get a better, you get a proper exposure. Um, but a gray card could be made by a bazillion people, and they're just they're just looking for a certain tone of gray. They're not looking for a neutral gray. It has nothing to do with neutrality, neutrality of color. A white balance card, like the one I, we should have in the po- in the in the uh, in the show notes, the white balance card. There's no color in it whatsoever. It's neutral. It's just a neutral. It's not quite gray. It's not as dark as a gray card. It's usually a lighter card, but it's not white. 
Um, it's usually like a very light gray. There's no color in it whatsoever. There's no dyes or anything like that. Some people think they can just use, you know, like I said, a piece of paper from like copy paper. Again, it's not a good thing to white balance with copy paper. Um, but you can't measure exposure with copy paper either. So anyway. Yeah, it's I have a question for you guys. On, on the back of every gray card is a white card. Uh, when is it appropriate to use one versus the other? Antonio? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> on the back of every... Yeah, I, I have a... I oh, have on the a, back of a... Oh, okay. The, yeah. Um, you know, the white balance cards, too, they also have a black patch and a white patch. Um, and you can take a picture of those, and then in post-production, you can use those white patches and black patches to actually mark your white and black points in a picture. So that also helps to uh, find a neutral color and get probably a better... Um, contrast so you would use like in, in um if you're doing it in photoshop and you shot a picture of this gray card this um sorry not gray card if you shot this y-bal card you'd have a gray background so that you could choose your white balance then you have a white patch and a black patch and you would use your eyedropper tool in the levels adjustments and you'd be able to find your white point and black point for the light that you're you're shooting so it's probably sorry. a bit technical but sorry i bumped my microphone but i was digging around for a card i knew i had buried somewhere and it's a it was a card that came out of the back of a photo, gra- uh, photo book, and it's got four quadrants. Upper quadrant says, is white, and it has the word highlight. The next quadrant to that is black, and it has the word shadow. The next quadrant down from that is gray, and it says midtone. And the next one over from that is a very light color gray, and it says camera raw white balance. So is that kind of what we're talking about? The difference, be- For instance, the difference between a gray card and a, and a white balance card are, are those two. The, the very light color is the camera raw white balance, and the sort of darker gray that says midtone that's the 18% gray that you would use for uh exposure is that mm. is that what, is that kind of I, I know that i'm describing this and you're not looking at it but is that sort of the differences that we're talking about antonio mm, i don't think so I, okay. <laughs> I i don't think so and without it in front of me i'm like trying to think uh gray cards are are probably less um we're not going to see many gray cards around anymore. Uh, yeah. So, so I'm, I'm. What I'm saying is, I don't think that is going to be used for exposure. But I'm not a hundred percent, and I don't want to sort of get pegged down to that unless I saw it in front of me. I'm looking at uh, trying to look it up. But what's the brand of the card? I, it doesn't have a brand on it. It, it it's, it's a card stock that came out of the back of a Photoshop book. Hmm. I wouldn't trust anything that came out of the back of a Photoshop no, book. No, and I only don't because that's, only, that's why it's kind of crumpled up and right. I had to dig around for it. I don't yeah, use it. Only because if it comes out of a book, then it was printed with inks. And so there is a... There's color there. There's color in that. Even in the blacks, I would think there, was a, there would be a color. But you don't use the blacks for, for, doing, for doing white balance. Yeah, I mean, so I asked... Oh, go ahead. No, no, go, go ahead. on, Mark. Go on, Mark. Well, I asked this question thinking that there was only one type of gray card, and now we've learned that there's there's two different things. There's one for white balance and one for exposure. But the question I was going to ask is, when you go in, when you're using this in post processing, trying to get the white, trying to adjust the whites, does it? Do you run the p- potential of throwing off some of the other colors if you? 
if you use the gray card um, and had the camera take the picture correctly at the beginning, if if you set the camera to set the camera to take the picture right to, at the beginning, as opposed to trying to do it in, in post, do you run the risk of uh, manipulating the other colors improperly? Does that make sense? Not I, if I you shoot raw. That. If you shoot raw, okay. it's no different. It's the same calculation. Okay. Either being okay. done by your software or being done by the little computer inside the camera. It's, it's the same math. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So just to, to, to summarize, right? So make sure if you're going to do this that you're actually using a card for white balance and not a card for exposure because you'll get ugly pictures if you do the wrong one. Um, you can either tell your camera, I'm about to show you something of neutral color. Here it is. Take picture. Remember that. Or you can just put something of neutral color into the light that you want to test Take your picture and then in post, drop an eyedropper on it, assuming you're shooting in RAW, because if you're shooting in JPEG, you can't do that. You have to do it the first way. Have I screwed any of that up? No. No. I think you that nailed it, pretty... Excellent. <laughs> so, and I, I learned a lot. Yeah, no, that was a really good question. Um, I, I like questions that spark off a good big discussion, so thank you, Alison. Well, we all, we all hope she's not sad. I was slightly tempted to read the question out and say no we're not going to talk about that and then move on <laughs> <laughs> only slightly because you would have killed me um, so with that we've actually we've, we've spent an hour so I'm going to keep the third question in the bag for our future for the next question show we do so we're going to leave it at two questions if again just to remind listeners if you have any questions you can go to let's-talk.ie forward slash photo queue and submit your questions there or just go to the let's talk photo page on that site and submit the question there um thank you very much to the panel um we'll go out in actually i don't remember what order we went in in, so i'll try go in reverse order uh mark thank you for joining us and where can you be found online where can people see some of your work uh, people can see my work at TwinLakesImages.com. I post my portfolio there. I also do some blogging, uh, s- stories about where I'm showing, things like that. I'm also on Flickr as SwitcherMark, and I am on Twitter as SwitcherMark. Excellent. Kenny, thank you as well. And uh, where, where do you hang out on the Internet? Uh, you can find my work on Flickr at uh, KennyL2007. Don't ask why. Since you've been uh, on Flickr since 2007, then yeah. Yeah, it's just another way of getting old. <laughs> and I'm also on Twitter's and uh, Kenneth Lee NJ. Look forward to hearing from any of the listeners with any questions or comments. Cool. And finally, Antonio, thank you for joining us again. And do you want to give out some links for people? Sure. Um, I can be found uh, through switchtomanual.com. That's my me and uh, my partner Tom. Uh, we teach photo classes and uh on twitter i am am rosario my website is amrosario.com and i think on Flickr i'm also am rosario and i just recently started up my instagram account again so i'm am rosario there um just because i like to share pictures a lot so cool and i'm shooting black and white so that sort of removes the issue of White balance problem. <laughs> no white balance in a monochrome <laughs> image. That is that's so true. Like, actually, that's not true, but it's it's kind of fun to say. Well, it changes where the blacks go and where the whites go. It does. It does. But you know. Anyway, it's a, let's it's a not quick start job. a whole new topic. <laughs> that's for next time. Yeah. If you have any questions about black and white photography, go ahead and send them in. To <laughs> no, actually, yeah. no. Seriously, yes, do by all means. You know, if we if we just touch off something you want us to go into more, well, that's a good question to submit because that'll yeah yeah that'll tell us you want to know. 
Um, just before I wrap up, wrap up, just a reminder that um, the website for the show is at letstashtalk.ie where you will find two very large blue buttons with the under the section support the show. Uh, basically, you can support us on Patreon. The way that works is you pledge X amount per episode we actually get out. And then if we do that, then money is taken off your credit card at the end of the month. And the idea with Patreon is it's not, you know, it's a way of regularly contributing a small amount, which is you know, very useful to people who run podcasts because that means we know we can pay the bills. Uh, and then the other option is the PayPal button where you just click the PayPal button and do whatever you feel is appropriate. And really, you know, it's it's entirely up to the listeners. The show is free. My sort of aim is to break even someday. It, this is not a money-making scheme. This is something we do for fun. Um, so it's at letstasstalk.ie. I've been your host, Bart Bouchatz. You can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy computing, or not happy computing, happy snapping. Listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hello, people. My name is Peter Bird, and I am the host of the Deep Look podcast. The idea behind the show is that we talk to our guests and we learn more about them, the subjects, the people, the things that shape their lives, or the things they're interested in, or the things they would possibly want to know more about. Basically, we just like to look a little deeper and see what's there and to learn. If that appeals to you, or you like that idea, or if even if you have a guest that you think we should try and speak to, then come on by and give us a go. We are part of the Stoplight Network.